0: These are the final instructions of Jesus to his disciples as he sends them out. He says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward." And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly, I say to you, he will by by no means lose his reward. Let's pray just for a moment. Father, we're your children and we're gathered in your presence So remind our hearts of your goodness. As a Father, you have shown mercy. You've given us good things in Christ. And we ask that this morning, you would grant the movement, the power of your Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence. Pray that you would take our minds, our hearts, our affections, and shape them toward Jesus, not ourselves. So we ask now that while we confess that this word is living and active, that we would experience that and be expectant. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus just told his disciples, I'm going to send you out. And they may have thought, okay, with what? And for what? And then he says, I'm going to send you out as sheep. And I'm sure they thought, that doesn't seem very powerful. We're going to go out to a world as sheep? And then he adds even further question. I'm going to send you out as sheep amongst wolves. And if you're a normal human being in this circumstance, I bet you'd have some questions. And so the final instructions that Jesus gives here in Matthew 10 are going to help to quell some of the deepest questions that are only obvious for someone who's trying to go on mission with Christ. We're going to look at these very directly. Jesus considers the place of peace. So the disciples might say to themselves, This is going to be full of conflict. I'm going to lose peace here. And so Jesus addresses peace. Then he's going to address their very life. The idea of sacrifice to the point of suffering. So do you see how these are basic questions of life? You might say to yourself, I don't like conflict. I'd rather peace. I don't want to lose that. So Jesus says, here's a reminder concerning peace as I send you out. Then they might say, I'm a little fearful for my life. Well, here's a reminder about life. And then finally, he's going to speak to something else that they they most naturally would have wondered about. Is this going to be worth it? See, I think we've been designed with a reward-punishment sort of scheme in life. And it's gone haywire due to sin, but we can't undo it totally. So I'm sure the disciples thought to themselves, what's going to happen at the end of this? Is this going to be worth it? Is there any point? Do we get something out of this? And Jesus speaks to each of these major concerns. The place of peace in their lives. The path to life in their life. And then finally, a right reward. He calls it a righteous person's reward. So let's look at peace and life and reward. And the first thing that I'm going to mention is that Jesus seems insistent that their allegiance be to Him and him alone, not to the good things that they've been given. So verse 34, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth? I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. Right away, he cuts to the chase. They might think to themselves, you're going to send us out and start preaching this exclusive Lord of everything stuff? Isn't that going to cause conflict? Jesus, knowing their thoughts, says, yes, it totally will. You are going to have to confront in your own mind and heart, as well as all the people around you, what it means for me to take first place in all things. And so he speaks to something that for many has been an area of difficulty. One hindrance to following Jesus wholeheartedly is the fear of being uncomfortable in it. We have no problem being religious or listening to the words of Jesus or receiving from Him so long as we're comfortable in doing so. But we begin to shrink back, or it's more difficult when we fear or see that it may bring conflict or uncomfortable aspects life. One of the most common ones is going to be within families. He says, I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Why does he say a person's enemies will be those of his own household? I think he goes here because Jesus is setting up those good things that must never be ultimate things there's a lesson here at the beginning. If you're going to be wholeheartedly given over to the purpose of Jesus in your life, you're going to have to confront not only the negative things. There are things that he doesn't say here. Notice he doesn't say, do not think that I'm telling you to go murder. Well, they should not murder. He doesn't say, do not think that I'm telling you to don't steal. They know they should not steal. In other words, there's a list of things not to do. But what is most dangerous for those who are going to follow him are the good things that they ought to desire and want. So one one thing that a person who desires to be fully faithful to Jesus must confront is the temptation to make good gifts that have been given to us ultimate things. In the Bible, this is called idolatry. So one great hurdle that Jesus sees in following him is that we may take a good thing, a desire for peace. If you're the kind of person who just hates peace, you just think, I love conflict, just give me a good war. And there's some of you out there. Then just bear with us for a moment, because the rest of us, we want peace. We don't want to be in conflict. We don't want to be seen as unnecessarily confrontational or violent. Peace is a good thing. But Jesus knows something about good things, and that is that oftentimes good things are the most tempting to make ultimate things. In other words, when you're going to follow Him, there will be invaders or things that are tempting to put in place of Him. One of them will be the idea that I need to be comfortable and at peace. And if you are tempted to put peacemaking or your comfortability above him, Jesus says, I just want you to know you're going to have to confront that. And then he goes to another good thing that God has given that oftentimes becomes ultimate. And that is essentially this. The deepest and best relationships in our life. Husbands, wives, fathers to sons, Mothers to daughters. Daughter-in-laws to mother-in-laws. That one you might have more understanding of. but Think about the other ones too. That some of the most fundamental and deepest connections we have as a family, Jesus says, I want you to know that if you're going to put me in first place, it may mean dislodging or unsettling prior allegiances. It is extremely tempting to, make, to take the good gifts of God, including family and romantic attraction and covenant bonds of marriage and our love for our children and our desires for their good and our esteem and our honoring of our parents and to make them ultimate unassailable things. It's as if Jesus says, beware of the family idol." Many times, once we believe that we have conquered or set aside all of those terrible vices, we still must be confronted with questions about Jesus' claim for ultimate priority in our lives. Are there areas of our affection, areas of our organized life, the way that we instruct, care for, or cordon off our family lives that indicate that Jesus simply can't go there. The reality is is that Jesus has ultimate claim over even the good and best loves of our lives. There will be times and some of you experience it even all the way down to this moment, there will be times, Jesus says, that following me and the commands that I've given you will not make everything immediately better. You will not have easy or perfectly peaceful family bonds. In fact, sometimes following me will mean that your family begins to reject you. Sometimes it means that you're going to have to Pray and weep and suffer and be faithful to me even as you're faithful to covenant bonds of marriage. I think what Jesus says is that there's a kind of worship that he's due that doesn't always look like beautiful piano or synth. It doesn't always look like devotions on the beach or praying fervently. Sometimes worship of Jesus explodes in the heart of a wife who faithfully walks with a husband who has rejected him and doesn't let his rejection of Jesus impact her worship of him. Sometimes, being willing to be uncomfortable is the best evidence that you understand the place of Jesus in life. Now, the key to understanding, I think, this is the reality that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. There is peace through Him. I don't want you to hear, and I believe that He's teaching here, that somehow if you follow Him, that peace is now going to be lost to you forever. The reality is though, that there is peace through Him, or there is fake peace. I think that's the point here. I've not come to bring peace to the earth, He says. Meaning the worldly system or this fallen place that they live. Many seek peace. You know the old adage to seek love in, the, in all the wrong places? You know that song? I believe this in some ways is Jesus' stark warning about seeking peace in all the wrong places. And he tells us that at times his commands will separate families and it's a reminder that all peace that is not sourced in peace with God, earned through the work and merit of Jesus, is a fleeting imposter. There's a temptation to make the idea of being free of conflict and everything sort of at ease and in a compromised truce that this is the ultimate goal of life. And I believe that what Jesus is saying here his disciples is, that's not really peace at all. There are some who are tempted to make peace above all things. They cannot stand the thought of being uncomfortable in this way. And the reality is Jesus says, you're taking the wrong shortcut. There is no peace outside of me. He does promise peace, but only through and in him. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is only by having peace with God first that real peace with anyone else in our life is possible. I think that is what's being taught here. He says in John 16, 33, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. The the operative phrase here is in me, not in your ability to broker peace with those around you. In fact, he promises in John 16, as he has here, that in the world you'll have tribulation. There will be things that will go wrong sometimes. So what's being confronted is something that often keeps us from being wholeheartedly abandoned in the sending that Jesus has and the claim that he has on our lives. And that is we're tempted to make peace and family relationships the ideal picture of what this looked like. Even those good things, if they become ultimate things, They're an idol to be rejected. So Jesus says to his disciples, here's what's going to happen. You are going to follow me and your families are going to get upset. Your dad's going to say, I worked 30 years for this fishing boat. You're just going to abandon it? You're not going to take over the family business. A mom's going to say, Are you seriously going to follow this man and not settle down and give me some grandchildren? The reality is is that brothers will be at odds over the ethical and moral commands of one who has been made new in Christ. And these conflicts, if done in the name of Jesus, are not To be unexpected, but to be expected. Now, here's the reality of this. When the allegiance that Jesus demands, that is rightfully His, comes into life, it can often unsettle things, but it does not mean that we ought to be self-loathing and completely pursue these things. Christianity 101 is not confess your sins, put your faith in Jesus, punch your mom, right? We don't have to seek these things out. Jesus does say, seek me first, my kingdom, my righteousness, and then all of these things will be added unto you. It does not mean, allegiance to Jesus does not mean that you will live a worthless, sad, loathsome life. It does mean though, that all claims to ultimate priority in your life need to be rearranged so that Jesus can have first place. It may not be peace or family for you, but Jesus is setting principles out. If you seek to follow me, I have to be first place. All peace accomplished apart from Christ is temporal and fake. Now, those who are following him, rightfully, probably felt the weight of this. And Jesus goes on and he realizes that not only would peace or family bonds be a temptation as an idol for them, but their very security and life itself. In verse 38, Matthew records for us one of the most common sayings of Jesus. This is what it means to be a Christian. He says, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. On the flip side, if you're to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. And then he says in verse 39 of Matthew 10, we just read, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This must have been a common saying of Jesus. The reason we know that is because it's recorded here, but also recorded consistently in all the record of the gospels. So whenever you find that much consistency, it's likely this is something that Jesus was known for. This idea of the backwards life, the upside-down idea of finding is losing, dying is living. I'm going to show you some of these places. So in Mark chapter 8, Mark, who speeds through the ministry of Jesus, he has less words, finds time to put in these words from Jesus in verse 35 of Mark 8. For whoever would lose his life, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Luke records this command of Jesus not once but twice, of these exact words. You'll find more often than this the same sentiment. But in Luke chapter 9, verse 24, he records, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Then in Luke 17, verse 33, Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. And then in John's Gospel, chapter 12, and you know something's consistent when it goes all the way through. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is often seeing things from a slightly different angle. He's more metaphorical. But here, he recites this same command of Jesus. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal eternity life. So this is a common saying from Jesus. This is follow me 101. It's worth asking, what does this mean? I already said let's not not mistake this by being overly simplistic. We said not confess your sins, trust in Jesus, punch mom. This also does not mean Confess your sins, trust in Jesus, go recklessly die. But what does it mean to lose one's life? If you want to save your life, you lose it. If you want to find your life, you lose it. What does this mean? I think what Jesus means is this. You cannot receive from Him with one hand all the blessings that He offers while grabbing your own prerogatives and your own pleasures and your own pursuits and closing your fist and hiding them behind your back at the same time. To lose one's life is to offer unto Jesus entirely His prerogative, His pleasures, His pursuits. And only in doing this do you have assurance that you will receive what he has given? I think what he simply means is to lose your life, this life, this fallen life, your own path, your own pursuits, is to be reset to the design of your creation. The great command is this, that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Essentially, the story, your story, the story of all of life, I'll give a little illustration. It goes like this. You're created, your little dot right here. And then God keeps pouring out blessing in your life. And as you receive an overflow of life, you're supposed to be in an or- outward orientation like this. All of your life, seeking to glorify God and to find others so that they could be loved. So you start as this dot in the middle. And as you receive from God, your life becomes filled by going outward. But sin and fallenness inverts this equation. We seek to save our lives by saving it. We seek to find our life by accumulating more and finding it. What sin does is it creates this dot, this place that we're at, and rather than From the overflow of what God has given us, living outward toward others, we look out at the world and we try to grasp things and bring them into ourselves. So you see what happens in this? Are you ahead of me? What's the opposite of a circle going out like this? Well, it's grabbing things from out here and making them come like this. So eventually you create a world where everything, all the pleasures of life, all the pursuits of life, the prerogatives of life, in fact, the very gifts that God has given other people you seek to draw to yourself so that you might be the center of all things. And I believe what Jesus is saying is, is that anyone who is seeking to live like that ends up losing their life. What happens with a life that is constantly pulling things towards self? Suffocation. That's what happens. I think that there's probably some kind of NASA space black hole illustration here, but I wasn't smart enough to make it. You get the idea, though, that when Jesus says you will lose your life if by striving you constantly seek to grab all that is out in the world and pull it towards self, you will die. Pride inverts the equation. Pride says, all that God has given is not for His glory, and these others that God has around me are not for me to love well and to bless and encourage, but instead, all that God has given is to be leveraged for my glory, and all that the others have, I ought to seek to leverage for love of self. Anxiety. Constant worry and stress operates not from a place of God's full supply so that we can generously glorify Him and love others, but instead feels a constant lack and needs to absorb all that is around us, spinning inward into a suffocating feeling of constant need. Pleasure is corrupted such that we never get Enough, we worry that we will not find the joys that we could find. Fallen, corrupted pleasure means that rather than loving neighbor as self, especially in areas of romantic interest and sexual desire, we often leverage and use others for ourselves. This is a life corrupted. This is what Jesus is saying. If you seek to live in this way, where you're playing hungry, hungry hippos in life. You know that game? Anyone play this game? The whole point is you better hurry up and swallow everything you can and bring it down into yourself or you lose. Jesus says the reality of life is you're not designed for that. You die. You don't win the game. You lose the game. I just had a disturbing image of a reverse game Called vomiting hippo, but like you know what I mean. Like the point is, instead, all that you have, you should be rushing to give away and to leverage for the glory of God, and say just continually, say, God, I am a conduit. Whatever you give to me is going to be stewarded well. Help me to see others and live outwardly. To protect and fight for one's life is to suffocate. To lose one's life and to offer it unto Jesus and His purposes is to be free and alive and to be reset back to the purpose for your creation. We do have a hope of glory, but not our own glory of our own making. Colossians says that we'll be restored to the hope of glory by giving ourselves to Jesus. Service. I'm going to say this in a way, hopefully it's not confusing. Temporally speaking, these things are tempting. Tempting. But eternally, if given the eyes of Christ, we will see that it is ultimately for our own good to give up the constant pursuit of self. In that way, generosity, service, love of others, there's not a better word for this, is self-interested. There's a point where Jesus says, That to give oneself away is a path to life. The, Paul, writing to the churches, says, you ought to love your wife. Because who hates his own body? In other words, love others, give yourself away, because this is what you've been designed for there is not some other kingdom, some other path wherein you can receive from Jesus and then hedge your bets and throw some of your own pursuits onto so that you create a more powerful combo kingdom of life. Instead, complete abandon is the path to joy. So the disciples might have thought to themselves, if I follow you, I'm going to lose my peace. If I follow you, I'm going to lose my family. If I follow you, I might lose my very life. I'm a sheep amongst wolves. Jesus addresses all of these. And he says, you may lose a temporal peace, but I'm the prince of peace and I'll give you a lasting one. You may have conflict in your family, but I've come to restore you to the Father and to give you a family. You may lose your life. But I am life itself. And will give you life eternally. And finally, he answers the question, is this going to be worth it? He talks about rewards. Now this is an interesting topic and we won't have time probably to hit everything that the Bible says about punishment and reward. But I want to use this teaching from Jesus as a way to erase some of our Confusions. One of the great misunderstandings and side paths in life that keep us from salvation is the idea that our work merits the reward of forgiveness. And so one of the first things that someone does when they realize the grace of God for them in Jesus is they give up their good works. They understand that this is not a great arcade of life. God is not withholding forgiveness. It's not up on the counter. And if you just collect enough tickets, you can eventually cash them in. And so you get the reward of union with him. To understand the gospel is to realize that nothing we've done deserves reward. It is all completely and utterly grace. And now I want to say don't fall into this temptation though. Though the ground of our justification is grace and grace only, that does not erase the reality that there are rewards and punishment in this world. It matters what we do. In the cosmic and eternal purposes of God, good is good and evil is evil, and there are still built into us a desire to see goodness come to those who do good. It is a fool's errand to try to shut off completely the desire for reward even as you follow Jesus. It is okay to want it to be worth it. You've been designed for joy. You've been designed for peace. You've been designed for life. And what Jesus says here is that there is a reward for those who receive a prophet. Now he gets to the motive. He says, if you receive a prophet because he's a prophet, don't receive a prophet because you know there's a reward that comes with those who seek a prophet. Do you see the difference there? He says, if you receive a righteous person, because they're a righteous person, there will be a righteous person's reward. Don't receive a righteous person because you want a reward. You see the point there? Motive is still in the midst of it, but there is reward. Jesus actually mentions in Matthew 10 earlier something that speaks to this. He says, to those who don't receive me, their punishment, to these Jewish leaders who have rejected me, he says, their punishment is going to be worse. It'll be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for them. And immediately you think to yourself, What in the world? How is that even possible? What does it mean more punishment? Isn't it just all punishment, all heaven? Those are the only two options, right? Well, it seems though in God's accounting of things that there is still reward. Scripture talks about sometimes someone who lives a life that is full of chaff and useless things And that they may be saved, but as if through fire. Like the person who makes it to the gas station with the bumper hanging off and a flat tire and slowly rolls in. There are instances in Scripture where it seems as though we will rejoice over those who receive from the Father even in heaven. And so the disciples at some level can't turn off this question. If I give up peace with my family, if I lose my life, will it be worth it? And it seems as though the answer is a resounding yes and that there are rewards. Now, I don't know if you're thinking what I'm thinking. But every time I consider these kind of things in the Bible, and the reason we're talking about rewards is because this is not the first time Jesus has brought it up. He brings it up in the Sermon on the Mount, it's all over other Gospels as well. Usually my thinking goes something like this Once you get to heaven, everything is perfectly equal no matter what forever, because otherwise we would compete. And I guess that's just how I think. The reality is, I can't even imagine being restored to such fullness, such joy, such love of others, such freedom from self that I could rejoice fully and completely in what others receive. Do you know there's coming a day when, in the presence of God, you will have such peace, such life, such fullness? That you will see others rewarded and receive, and not one bit of envy or covetousness or competition will come up in your heart. You will simply and completely and fully rejoice in another being blessed. You will glory in a God who freely gives eternally, even in heaven, rather than constantly comparing and thinking, well, I wonder if I'll get that tomorrow am I the only one who thinks like this in a world? Am I the only one who who is leery of rewards because if you tell me the game to play, I want to win it? I think sometimes as Christians who understand the ground of our justification is not in reward, we're afraid to talk about these real verses in the Bible because we don't want you to turn into legalists who receive righteous people because there's a reward. So I'll say it again as clearly as I can say it. Your good works do not merit forgiveness and oneness with God. Only the finished work of Jesus can accomplish that. At the same time, God is eternally a Father who loves those are His own and will reward His own. And when you or others get rewarded, you will be so full and so enamored with God and with the good of others that you will not be plagued by this constant desire to compare or wonder why you don't have what that person had. To see someone receive something good and be free from the lack of this world, this, is a very, this, this world in fallenness is very sparse, or so it seems. So when someone receives something good, you say to yourself, well, I, I hope I get that reward too. Must be nice for someone to have a romance like that. I would like that too. A family like that. I would like that too. For now, this lack that we have in this world ought to stir our affections for heaven where one day we, have, we will have fully received and we can rejoice in what God rewards So again, we don't have time to cover this entire thing. But Jesus seems clear. He is essentially saying to his disciples this. When you follow me, it's worth it. It's worth it. Mark in the 10th chapter puts it like this. He says, anyone who leaves fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and farms and fields for my sake will never fail to receive Much not only in this world, but in the not only in the world to come, but in this one as well. In my late teens, I really wrestled with whether or not I should go and give a few years of life or a few months of life at the time I wasn't sure. To what I felt was like sacrificial service. I was not planning, nor did I want to do missionary kind of things or churchy kind of things. I had a perfectly good plan for my life. And I remember the exact moment. I'm just about to go to bed. I'm reading through the Gospel of Mark. I come to this passage in 10. Jesus says, anyone who leaves these things in my sake, you will not fail to receive a hundredfold in life to come and in this life. I got on my knees before God. I said, I believe. I believe that there is no sacrifice in the name of Jesus. I believe that whatever I offer to you will not be loss for me. Because it felt like loss. It feels like loss sometimes to say no to this. To say, I'm going to put off the pleasure for now. To not pursue your own plans. To press through to forgive. To open your hands and say in surrender, whatever you bring, I'm yours. It feels like loss. But Jesus says, I want you to believe me. There's no other path. There's only reward in the name of Jesus. All that you offer to him will not be lost. That's the message of following him. And when sin whispers, it's tempting to think, I could have Jesus, but I also could have this. And when fear sets in and you think, I just want peace, it's tempting to believe, I want Jesus, but I also really like to be seen as this way for these people. And Jesus says to those from the very first moment that he's sending out, I want you to know there is reward. The path to surrender to Jesus is not regrettable. That's what we want to say to one another. It's life eternal and abundant and full, not life miserable and loathsome and sacrificial. So for the sake of your soul, give all that you can. Surrender all that you are. Seek His kingdom. And all these things will be added to you. Don't rob yourself of the blessings of a father who loves you. This is the message of the gospel. It's not, would you please stop because I'm ashamed of you or something. God says, stop, follow me because I love you. I want what's best for you. The disciples wanted to know, will I have peace? Yes, we'll have the Prince of Peace. They wanted to know, will we have life? Yes, life eternally. They wanted to know, will it be worth it? The answer is always a resounding yes. Let's pray.